0: Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing his grace. I appreciate that song, and I trust that we're together this morning to receive a blessing. I know I've been blessed by being here so far. I extend a welcome to each of you. God bless you for being here this morning. And also, too, a special recognition to our mothers. Happy Mother's Day. The blessing of godly mothers. Uh, The world needs godly mothers, and yes, the world needs godly men too, but today we're focusing on the mothers. Thank you for what you do. It's a blessing to have a godly mother, and the impact that my mother had on me goes on today. So I'm grateful for that and wish you as mothers that your legacy will not be undone and not forgotten. So I don't know what you're anticipating today for a message but I don't have a Mother's Day message. Uh, I know we have this, this evening we have geared toward the mothers so I will let it at that. Jason read there from her text in first Peter so you can turn there if your Bibles are not open there yet, but that's the passage that we will be looking at been going through this book here in First Peter. The title for the message this morning is Hope in the Midst of Hardships, here in 1 Peter chapter 3, 13 through 22. In my last message there, I ended with verse 12, where it says, For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. If we are righteous, we have nothing to fear. when we come face to face with our judge because we have a hope, we have an assurance and we are free from being saved from our unrighteousness. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. We are either righteous or we are unrighteous. Righteous only by the suffering and the blood of Jesus Christ. So, what a tremendous blessing and gift this is. And I think we all realize that we don't have an easy pass to go through this life. It's not an easy pass where we just sail right through and keep on going and we don't hit any major bumps or obstacles in life. Life is not an easy pass. And even at times, we come to crossroads in life, and we need to make a decision which way we're going to turn and what we're going to do with the things that we face. Hope in the midst of hardships. So there are three things that I want to draw from this passage this morning in thinking of suffering, sanctified, and security. So first of all, looking at suffering. First Peter has a lot to say about suffering. And this word suffer is mentioned at least 16 times and maybe more so depending on what translation. But it is mentioned a number of times here in this book. And a few times it refers to Jesus' suffering, but most of the time it is referring to the suffering of the believers. Peter wrote this in a time when there was severe persecution And so is it any wonder that Peter mentions this a number of times in his letter? They were experiencing severe suffering at the hands of the authorities. And many of these believers had lost friends, family, and probably even many material possessions. And Peter gives us a description here of of what it should look like as believers that are going through suffering. Who of us enjoys suffering? To the natural man, suffering is not something that we look forward to. And it's not something that we put on our agenda and welcome into our lives but we all know that suffering is part of us. Whether it's physical suffering or spiritual suffering, but here as we have it in 1 Peter, it is specifically referring to those that are facing persecution. Peter asks the question in verse 13, And who is he that will harm you, if ye be followers of that which is good? And we would say to that question, no one does. Why would someone harm us for doing good? And yet, we know that it happens. In our human minds, no one should need to suffer for doing what is good. Generally speaking, if we do what is right, we shouldn't be punished for that. Normally, governments will punish those who do crimes and break the law. But we have here in 1 uh, Peter, he, he, it is Christians that are being persecuted for doing what is right. And they are persecuted because of their faith. And he says in verse 14, even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And then he quotes from Isaiah. 8, verse 12. I'm not going to take the time to look, at, look there in Isaiah, but he quotes that there in the latter part of verse 14 from Isaiah 8, chapter 12, or 8, chapter, verse 12. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 12. And it does not say here that if you suffer for righteousness, you will be blessed. Rather, he says that suffering for righteousness is itself the blessing. Not necessarily how we look at suffering. Suffering for righteousness is itself the blessing. And we know very little about suffering for righteousness or for the sake of our faith. That's kind of a foreign idea to us. Some of us have been or will be rebuked or we, 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 uh, we will be rebuked because of our standing For God's truth. Because of our standing for truth, it might look ridiculous to some people. So we might be in in our society, we will face some of that and do face some of that, where it looks ridiculous to people and we might be mocked for what we stand for. But we don't really know what it looks like or feels like to have physical persecution on our own bodies because of our faith. And while we do not suffer in that way, there there is a number of ways that we do suffer. And so we make application, we draw principles from this scripture on how to learn how to deal with the suffering that we face. Some of our suffering that we face can come from the choices that we make or even choices that were made in the past. You think about that. Some of our, choices, some of our suffering that we face is, is because of choices that we made in the past or choices that we're making even today. And I think we need to recognize that. And so I ask you, I ask myself, are you suffering because of some wrong choices and refusing to recognize where the problem is? Or are you suffering for righteousness' sake? When we suffer because of some bad choices or some wrong choices that we have made or are making, I think we need to take ownership for those and do something about it and not put the blame on other people but put the blame where the blame belongs. We, we tend to put the blame and shift the blame on others when we are suffering, uh, when we go through suffering. But sometimes if it is suffering because of wrong choices, bad choices, who are you putting that blame on? We live in a fallen world. And when Adam and Eve sinned, there was a curse put on man. And we still suffer because of that. But we also face suffering because of some bad choices that we make in our own lives. We have to make choices. We have to choose just like Adam and Eve did. Yes, there is a curse on us because of that. But we also have choices to make. And so I believe this passage also speaks to those who suffer maybe more generally. And if you're not suffering as a result of your sinful choices, then while you may not be able to directly connect your suffering To the fact that you're a follower of Jesus Christ, we still suffer as followers of Jesus Christ. In some way, shape, or form, we still suffer. It may be suffering related to relationships, it may be financial, it may be related to trials in the past or challenges in the present. No matter how you are suffering, God has something to say to us. Verse 17 says, For it is better, if the will of God be so, that ye suffer for well doing than for evil doing. That makes sense to us, doesn't it? It is better. If the will of God be so, if it's God's will that you suffer for well-doing, that's better than being than suffering for evil-doing. That's far better. And he says there's blessing in that in verse 14. And I ask the question again, are you suffering because of well-doing? Or are you suffering because of wrong choices that you made? And maybe not owning up to those choices. We don't like to suffer and are inclined to avoid pain at all cost. And we will go to great length to avoid physical pain on our own bodies. A few months ago, I had a surgery. Probably because of some bad choices that I made over the years. And not listening to the pain that my body was telling me that was there. But I kept avoiding it and thinking that it will be fine and so I kept pressing on. What came to the point when the pain was so intense at times that I couldn't function well and I couldn't do the things that I wanted to do well. And so I came to the point like I need to do something about this. I can't go on in life like this. If I want to be able to function well and while I knew that having this pain I knew that I would have to go even through more intense pain to get rid of the original pain of really where it came the initial pain of where it came from and so I knew that possibility of experiencing pain in order to gain something better and yet it came to the point where I was finally willing to take that risk And I think it can be the same way in our spiritual lives. It can be that way in our relationships or whatever situation that you may be in. We can go through some painful things and we think that we can deal with it and keep trying to cover it up. And make it appear like it's all good. And we don't want to face the problem of where it's really stemming from. But sometimes we need to go through more pain to deal with the initial pain. The thing that's really causing the problem. We need to go through that to be able to gain something better. And to be able to to gain full recovery. To be able to function well in life. Suffering is not something that we like to do or go through, we will go through great lengths to avoid suffering. We have means to all kinds of meds and you name it to try to avoid pain. We will try to avoid pain. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that because who likes pain? But it's the same way, I think it can be the same way in our spiritual lives, in our relationships, whatever things we're going through. And so we have here in this passage, we have instruction on how to prepare for suffering. Takes us to the second point here of sanctify. In verses 15 and 16. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Sanctify means to set apart or declare holy. It is to purify or free from sin. As believers, I believe it is our calling that we are different, that we are different people than what the world is, that we look different, that we do things differently, that we function differently. That is our calling. We are to live a life of holiness. Sanctify also means to set apart, to declare holy. So there should be evidence that there is something that has taken place in our lives. And I think the way that we respond to suffering should be a testimony to the people around us, to the world around us. We are blessed with a heritage where we have each other when we go through suffering. We witnessed that a number of times when during Trevor's journey of cancer in the hospital, When we were in the hospital numerous times, we would see different families in there. Families? Barely families, actually. We would see a parent or some kind of relation. But barely ever families being there together and the support, and not only just families, but church and community. Like We we have tremendous blessings when we go through suffering compared to the people of the world, and that speaks to those people. It speaks mightily to those kind of people. So there should be evidence of God. When we have God as believers, there should be evidence of that. When we're going through suffering, that speaks to others. There's a verse that we often hear about and people refer to when going through suffering is Romans 8.28. It's a familiar verse and we often say this verse. And we know that all things work together for, for what? For good. To them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Now I don't think that we would say that everything that happens to us is good. At least it doesn't feel that way. Or does it? Not everything that happens to us feels good. But it is for the good. Of those that love God. And if you look there in Romans 8, verse nine, it sort of answers what that good is that takes place. It is so that we are conformed to the image of His Son. That is one of the purposes of our suffering, to be conformed to the image of His Son. The point is to make Jesus at home in our heart, to put Him on the throne. And to give him honor and glory and to obey him. That is the good that he's trying to make out of us. That we recognize or that we be conformed to the image of the son. I need to make room for him in my heart. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And then he goes on to say there in verse 14. And be ready always to give an answer To every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. As Christians, we all suffer differently. We go through different things in life. I don't know that any any of us, then again, Solomon said there's nothing new under the sun. Whatever you go through, somebody else has gone through already. And yet, there's a diversity of suffering amongst us. Some face a lot of, a lot more intense suffering than others. but as Christians here he says that we should all be ready to give an answer of the hope that is within them. So what does it take to be a witness in our world today? And as I look at this verse, I want to mention three things that I feel that, that, that is important. To be a witness in the world. If we want to witness, we need to be an example. So being a a true witness for Christ requires being the right example. And Peter says that we need to be ready to give, that we need to be prepared to give an answer when people ask. If you really think about it, what, what makes people ask you about your faith? No one is going to ask you about your relationship with the Lord unless you're living your life in a way that sort of triggers their curiosity. So as I think about that in my own life, what makes people ask about my faith? Am I living in a way that people will ask? Because it says, be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason. So a person needs a reason to ask. And they're not going to ask a person that is not living it out. If we're not living by example, people won't have a reason to ask about our faith. Matthew five fourteen through 16. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. God expects us to look different than the rest of the world so that we can be an example to the world. We're to be a light, a city that is set on a hill that cannot be hid. Another thing that it takes to be a witness is explanation. We're to be ready to explain the things that we believe and why we believe it. If you don't know what you believe and why you believe it, how are you going to convince anyone else that they need this, that they need salvation? If you don't know what you believe and why you believe it, how will you explain that to other people? And this is not about defending yourself and who you are, but it's about proclaiming who Jesus Christ is and what he has done for you. Because your life will be evidence of that. It goes back to being an example. People will see that and will ask about it. We can probably all identify a good salesman versus a bad one. You know, you have those kind of salesmen that are out there trying to sell their products. For, and it can seem like it's they're doing it for their own gain and to try to secure their own pocketbook and not necessarily even know what they are selling to you. And you kind of get that sense that they don't really care about you either. They're just there to sell what they have. And then you have those kinds of salesmen that, that really care about the person that they're trying to sell their thing to. And they know about their product, and they're convinced it's what you need. And yes, I know some of those can get overbearing, overbearing also. So as, as believers, I think we need to find a balance of how we, how we present and how we share the gospel with others. When we know what we believe and why we believe it, people will see that. Another thing about being a witness is its expression. Here Peter includes here in the latter part of verse 15 of how this should be be done. He says, with meekness and fear, having a good conscience. Twice in this passage, Peter talks about the good conscience. Here in verse 16 and also then in verse 21. And so having a good conscience, the word conscience has to do with self-awareness. It's it's the kind of self-awareness that has a a strong moral base and, and has the potential to keep a person on the straight and narrow way. That's a good conscience. Peter is encouraging these Christians to keep their conscience clear so that their persecutors will find nothing to criticize. And that happened again and again as those believers were persecuted. And you could say that a good conscience is somewhat like an alarm system that signals, that signals us when something goes wrong and encourages us to make the right choices, to do the right thing. And a good conscience will bother us until we do something about it. God has given us a conscience for a reason and for our benefit. And a clear conscience is not necessarily an assurance that a person is innocent of sin. Because if you think about it, it can depend on how we train our conscience. Because our conscience is either in line with the spirit of God or is in line with the spirit of this world or maybe even in tune with yourself in the way that you think. Because some people can do terrible things and yet they seems, it seems like they suffer very little guilt. The, the more frequently we do something wrong, the less likely we are to sense that guilt of conscience. The more often we go repeat something and do something wrong, the less likely we are To feel guilty about it. And so we need to be careful about. Where our conscience. What our conscience does tell us. If we work at it hard enough. We can make ourselves believe. That almost anything. That we might choose to do. Is justified. And so. Sometimes our conscience. Needs to be reprogrammed. And we need to allow the Holy Spirit. To take control of it. If it's not controlled by the spirit of God, who is it being controlled by? So we need to align our spirit with God's spirit. Verse 16 makes it clear or confirms when we have a good conscience and a conscience that is pure and clean. Those that will, those that are falsely accusing us will one day be ashamed of what they've done. The last thing I want us to think about is security, security in Christ, security in having a good, clear conscience. And I think we all realize that our security can be and is to be only in the Lord Jesus Christ. We can't be secure in him and in him. We can be secure in him and him alone. There's nothing else that brings security. Security. People go to great lengths to, to make sure that their personal houses are secure. I was working at a place here a number of months ago where I needed to go into the house and uh, no one was living there. This was a, a higher end house, so of course those are the ones that will have their security systems. So I was told where the security system was and uh, I always get a little nervous with this because if I don't know exactly where it is and some of them are a little different. And, uh, so I needed to go in there, and I knew I had 20 seconds to find this alarm system, to punch in the right numbers, and to make sure I hit the off button. Well, I went in there, and I was fumbling around a little, like, two seconds too long. And uh, I did find it, but I put the wrong number in first, and so I quickly tried to do this thing over, but you know what happened. I was too late. But I turned it off. Everything was all going okay. I was working, and uh, sure enough, soon uh, the police officer comes walking in the house where I was working, and just wanted to make sure everything's okay. And uh, yeah, he had this happen before. He's not sure why the people the people are away for the week. Why don't they turn it off for the day? You know, this is happening to other trades. That's that's the one alarm for the day. So I'm working there, and uh, there's what I thought was a smoke detector. And I, and I just casually unhooked the thing. As soon as I disconnected it, I knew I did the wrong thing again. Because I was like, oh no, this probably is connected straight to the fire company. And sure enough, about an hour later, I have another officer come out and make sure that everything's okay. Twice in one day, but this is security, what people go to great length for security. Do I do that for my own personal well-being? What length will I go to to make sure that I'm secure? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Verse 18 in our text says, For Christ also hath suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. He suffered as one who was not striving to be righteous. He suffered as one who is and was righteous, perfectly righteous. And yet his suffering was purposeful. We know that because through his suffering, we can be made righteous. Righteous. That's the security that we have in Christ. He suffered for for my unrighteousness that he might bring us to God. And notice the, the word, the pronoun here, us, in verse 18. Jesus suffered in order to reconcile us to God as those who were unrighteous, as those who did not obey God. Jesus suffered to the point of death. And yet death could not... Even the power of death could not stop the power of God. Death cannot stop the power of God. Jesus, through Jesus' death on the cross, we can be made alive. We see that. What the, the power of the resurrection, how that we can be made alive because of his resurrection. That's security that we have. When we suffer in life we need to remember that there is a transformation awaiting for us. There's something better for us. We have a better hope. We have a hope. We have something to look forward to. And Paul describes that in 1 Corinthians 15. Just as we have have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Because one day, we will also be made alive in the spiritual realm. Our bodies will be raised with Christ and be transformed. And so that's encouragement to me. When we face suffering in this life, one day that will all be gone, it will be different. And then we have an interesting verse here in this passage. Verse 19, and maybe some of you have read this and wondered what I would be saying this morning about this. And how do you explain this verse? It says there, By which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison. You could ask the question, Who was the one that did the preaching? Who are the spirits in prison? And how do we make sense out of this verse? And there's varied theories and opinions and speculations on this. And yet, uh, some would say that, it, that it's probably between the time of his death and resurrection. Did he go into the spirits and prison? Where did he preach to these people? And so there's all these ideas and questions. And yet, I'm not here to give you a confirmation on what really happened. Because what I do say, I think most of you will go away with maybe your own idea anyway. But I I really don't have much to say on this verse. The Bible does not make it clear anywhere about what Jesus did in that time. So I'm not here to say what he did or didn't do. You can think through that. For me, I don't know, for us, it doesn't make a difference on my salvation. This verse does not make a difference. That's not what this passage is about. we read here in this passage and we can see some clear things of what he is teaching us and so i don't think the focus should be needs to be on that verse so that's a little bit of my piece on verse 19 and i am open to hearing what you have to say and your thoughts about that also it can create some good discussion verse 20 and 21 one day god's judgment will come just as it did when God flooded the earth. And Peter makes a comment here about Noah's Ark and about baptism. And he encourages these people that he was writing to, he encourages them, them and us, that they would be rescued from this judgment, just as Noah and his family were rescued through the Ark. God is long-suffering. And he is not willing that anyone should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We understand how that Noah was building the ark for years and years and years. God knew that there was going to be a flood, there was going to be a judgment. He was long suffering. God is still long suffering. And he wanted to save the people from destruction. And then we have it how that there was a few that were saved. In it, only a few people. Only eight people were saved through the water. And this water symbolizes baptism. He brings that out here in verse 21. People were saved by the ark, not by the water. And so the water of baptism symbolizes death. Where we symbolically go into death. We die to the old, my, old man and we rise out of it. And so baptism is a good conscience, is an answer, it says here, is an answer of a good conscience toward God. Baptism is not what saves us, but it's a symbol of the cleansing that takes place within us. That's what it is. It's a symbol. And so that's what Peter is explaining here about the ark also and the saving of those eight souls. Baptism is an answer to a good conscience toward God. It symbolizes cleansing, but it is only the spiritual cleansing that saves us. We have that in Romans 6, 3 and 4. And then after the resurrection in verse 22, it explains his position in glory today. It says there, who is going into heaven? And this is Jesus Christ after the resurrection, who has gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. Jesus being on the right hand of God, it gives us a beautiful picture there, him being on the right hand of God. And he is interceding for us today. And he is the one that has cleansed us and made it possible that we can be with him in glory. Security, now that's security. Security. We need to have faith and believe and obey. That is security for us. He showed us what it is like to suffer. For those of us who follow him into suffering, we will also follow him into glory. And I think that should move us, motivate us to continue on. That when we follow him through his suffering, he went through suffering. If we follow him through our suffering, we will follow him into glory. And I know that's what we long for. Glory. Are we going to stay strong? Are we going to hold on? In 1685, 18-year-old Margaret Wilson was arrested for her faith along with another 63-year-old lady. And they both refused to recant and bow their knee to the king. And so the sentence was given to them that they would be taken to the channel, tied to a post, and they would be put out there and left to drown with the rising tide. And so on the day that this took place, the older woman was put out a little farther than the than the younger one, and she was to watch the older sister die. And the soldier's... We're hoping that in that time that she would recant. And the soldiers asked her what she thought of the other one out there now struggling. And this is what she said. What do I see but Christ in one of his members wrestling there? Do you think that we are the sufferers? No, it is Christ in us. And just before the waters reached over her own head, Margaret was given one more last chance to deny her Savior and to save her own life. But there she was, and she saw her own Lord with her eyes of faith, and she sang that psalm from Psalm 25. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O God. And as the waters overtook her, they they gave her one more chance. They had ducked her under, they gave her one more chance, brought her up, and gave her one more chance. But she said, I will not. I am one of Christ's children. Let me go. And that's how she ended her life. She suffered physical persecution. But she was willing, both of them were willing to go the whole way because of Christ in them and because of the glory that they would experience. God has provided for us a way to be saved from judgment, to be saved from our sins. And so our security is in Jesus Christ. In our suffering, let's keep our eyes on Jesus and rest in the hope of being with Him in glory. If you can kneel with me for prayer.